like I tell people, your financial, your financial IQ may be much lower than what your normal IQ is. Right. And people's um, their their value or, or how they look at money is very different because we could say a million dollars is a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. But there are people who can blow through a million, if not millions, if they did not have this structure that forces someone like me as a trust advisor um, acting in the capacity as a trustee to say, hey, this request is probably not appropriate because if we do this, you're going to run out of money. Here's the tempo. I'll give it to you now. One, two, three, four. Welcome to another episode of The Culture's Money. Welcome to The Culture's Money. The Culture's Money is a podcast created to discuss how we multiply the $1.2 trillion in spending power possessed by the American black community through the vehicles of investing, personal finance, ownership, networking, and most importantly, collaboration. We are the culture, baby, and we are the financing that we've been seeking. Now, let's get into this money talk. And here's your host, Jamal Vitos. Jamal Vitos. Welcome to another episode of The Culture's Money, your podcast on all things culturally finance, including investing, entrepreneurship, real estate, anything finance happening in the culture. This is where you will find it. I am your host, Jamal Vitos. Some of you may know me on other platforms as Leo Grand Prince, but however it is that you know me, I hope you know me to be an advocate for financial literacy, generational wealth, and generational health. I have another good episode for you guys again. Um, Twitter always coming through with the the guests. This is where I meet all my 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 people because I feel like it's the most authentic of all the platforms where you find people where they're not filtered, and you tend to you know find your find your village. And I have on this show a uh, fellow finance uh, professional, Miss Brittany Sade. Brittany, say hi to the people. Hello, hello. Right. How are you doing, Jamal? I'm doing well. I want y'all to know that Brittany looking fine. Like she got it together <laughs> for this Zoom. <laughs> I told her it was a Zoom like a week ago. When I say I turned the camera on, she looked good. A black woman showing out for y'all. Y'all hear me? I appreciate that. I really do. So yeah, tell we, them a little bit about yourself before we get started. I Well, again, I am Brittany Sade. I am a trust and financial advisor. I do deal specifically with um, trust funds as well as other types of traditional trusts, structured settlement trusts, and my favorite special needs trusts. I'm also a financial education enthusiast. So much like Jamal, I am all about financial literacy and helping people, especially those in my community, learn more so that way they can actually reach their goal of financial freedom because you can't do it if you don't know how. And um, I'm also an advocate of professional and personal growth. So when I'm not working, I am just helping others really win. I genuinely love to see other people win. So y'all don't know me. And Britt was like, uh, we're not just strictly going to talk finance. And I was like, I don't know how the conversation is going to go. But when she just did the introduction, it made me remind what I'm going to focus on with her because she's more of an expert in trust than I am. Like I always tell you guys, I'm not going to talk to you about things I don't know well. And I know a little bit about trust, but that's her wheelhouse. And that's what um, eventually when we get in the conversation, I want to uh, talk to her about because I think there's a misconception that one, you have to have a lot of assets to have a trust. And I don't think people know the difference between revocable trust, irrevocable trust, how to set them up and all things like that. So that'll be, you know, the nugget that I make sure that she gives you guys. But um, as I always ask the finance people, how did you like 
I know we got me into finance. Like I grew up poor. Like that's and like the rap song said that that did something to my spirit. Like I just couldn't live life like that as an adult. How did you get into finance and what brought you there? I actually stumbled into finance. So to be clear, as far as like money management, the fundamentals, all of that, my parents did do a very, very good job of allowing me to understand the fundamentals. And they did teach me. We talked about it in our household. But I did not go to school to uh, be a trust advisor or in finance at all. I actually wanted to do law and I wanted to be a criminal defense attorney. And um, I had wanted to do that since I was eight or nine years old, sneak in to watch Matlock. And the reason why was not Matlock. That's my (laughs) show. (laughs) So um, (laughs) a little uh, it's like, what's a fun fact about you? Not many people know that is one. But no, I I actually went to Campbell for law. I was intending to go to Campbell and then go to their law school. So I said, well, I might as well go to their undergrad because we all know when you do well in undergrad, it just makes your um, chances a lot better of getting into the, the grad or law schools. And so I went to Campbell. I was a political science free government major and hated it. Um, I understood that I needed to understand the judicial system, but um, political science, like politics, that did not interest me as much as I know that we should know about it. I was like, this is not what I came here for. So I changed my major um, to journalism Mm. because it's like you can major in anything and go to law school, right? You can major in theater and go to law school. And so I changed my major to journalism. That explains how well you communicate. (laughs) And so um, I was a journalism major for maybe because I always like to write. So I was like, yeah, sure. Journalism. And I was a journalism major for probably half a semester and ended up taking a business law class about Mm -hmm. contracts. And the advisor, um, the professor rather, was actually the advisor of the trust and wealth management program. And uh, Campbell University is actually right now the only um, school in the nation that you can graduate with a degree in trust and wealth management. And so naturally didn't know much about it, but he make sure they get you a contract if people start applying to this program (laughs) because you just gave them a plug. Okay, so um, I was actually in the very first like trust program um, that they had, like trying to teach people about trust and bring students. in. so that was pretty cool. But no, so he asked me how I liked the class, introduced me to trust. He was like, you might as well sign up for the class. And if you, you know, if you like it, stay in it. If you don't, you can change majors just like you did. So I ended up changing majors and fell in love with trust. It was very challenging. It was something very different. And um, the Taurus and me, we, we like challenges. I thrive on challenges. Otherwise, I'll get bored. So um, that's how I stumbled into it. And it it ended up being another career path that did allow me to make good money and help people um, just in a different way than being a criminal defense attorney. So I find it funny that a lot of us kind of stumbled into <laughs> the financial education or the finance um, vehicles things because kind of like you, like I aced my accounting classes 201 and 202. And my professor thought I was going to go into accounting, but it was so mundane. I was like, I don't care how amazing this is. <laughs> And then uh, I changed it to real estate and economic development, kind of like that. And then I went over to finance. Now, mind you, I got A's in my accounting classes. I got like C's and B's in my finance class because it was more challenging. It it made me think it was more complex. And sometimes people think like, why would you shift from something that's so easy to something that's harder because it's harder? Like easy isn't always better. So I, I think that's funny that a lot, the more I talk to the finance people, the more I realize that all of us kind of just kind of stumbled into it in one way or another. 
Um, so about your parents, I think that's always good. Uh, home education is something that the culture is still getting into, but we're still behind. Yeah. Uh, were your parents educators? Were they in the finance field or was it just something they wanted you to know just off their own personal preference? I believe it was something that they wanted me to know just from their personal preference. Neither one of my parents were ever in finance. My mom was in um, textiles and clothing and my dad actually, well, he's a serial entrepreneur. He's a businessman, but career wise or his job rather is actually working for UPS. Hmm. So finance was just something that I say my parents got it out the mud. So all I had to do was like grind and hustle. And so I think from them grinding and, and having to, to get it out the mud, they built that structure. So that way they wouldn't have to go back to doing that. And I, nor my sister would have to do that. And so they definitely taught um, those fundamentals, the importance of saving, the importance of having your money make money. You know what I mean? Like pick your career, whatever you want to do, make sure you're educated and have a career, but also do something that's fun and, and make it lucrative. Right. So um, my parents have always taught me about managing money and, and just making money. Um, but really, you know, you chase the purpose, the money's going to come too. So they're not like money hungry, but they are definitely the type of people that are like, you know. How do you feel, uh, not to segue, but how do you feel? I, I, I've been saying this lately because I think it's something that's very important. And like you've followed me a while, you know, I am not against money. I'm not against wealth. I am against greed. I am against the obsession of money. And I think sometimes some people who are chasing the money in the culture, because we've been deprived so long, because our culture has been robbed and things have been stolen from us, we think we're old, which we are. But I think people get into this mindset that money is everything and they're willing to compromise, cut corners and do. How do you feel about people's obsession with money? And do you run into that a lot when you're consulting with people? Are they obsessed with money or do they have a real set purpose for obtaining wealth, setting up generational, you know, generational wealth and everything like that? So to, I think by kind of explaining, I think I'm going to touch on all of your, your questions. Um, but in my fields, I see a variety of people. Mm-hmm. I have people who have started their own trust, like either, whether it be a rev trust or they're setting up irrevocable trust for their um, families or themselves to pass down. I've seen people who have inherited wealth, who've never had it before. They got it because their grandparents um, may have passed away. And I've also seen people who have gotten money from structured settlements where they've never seen a dime in their life. And so I say that to say that I meet and I'm introduced to a lot of people with um, different, I like to call it financial literacy IQs. Um, They have different viewpoints on money and and how money is valued. And so I, I deal with a lot of different people to answer that question. But I feel like as far as money is concerned, I'm really big on the fundamentals and the management of the money that you have and making it work for you. I'm definitely a person of integrity. And honestly, as much as I talk about money because I'm in that field, I always try to remind people that I chase purpose. The money just comes. 
So, and that's why I said, like, when my parents said, do something that you're passionate about, um, that could be lucrative, but it's not, I didn't grow up in a household of greed. It was just what you have, you manage it, um, you be responsible with it, you show discipline, you have that, you know, that accountability factor, but you also want to, I mean, the life that you desire, you have to make that happen, but integrity is, is most important. And so I feel like, you know, how, how you obtain something is, is how you lose it, whether it be money, a relationship, a business, you know, a business relationship, you have to be very careful when you are just wanting money with no end goal. And that's why I tell people, how are you saying you want financial freedom when you don't have a budget or a financial plan? Like, what is your, what is your goal? What is your end goal? Um, and I have several conversations with people about that. Like, they're like, you know, I just want money and I just want to be able to be free. Well, what does that look like? Is there an amount? You know what I mean? Like, what does financial freedom actually look like to you? And I think that's kind of how the greed is there because we don't ever want to go broke, but mm-hmm. we also don't set goals. So it's mm-hmm. like, you're just chasing. You're, you're <laughs> preaching to the choir because I see this all the time. You know, a lot of people got into various things where there'd be options, stocks over this pandemic, which is good. You know, the desperation uh, prompted action, which was fine. But I saw a lot of people who kept asking me or would tweet, oh, I was up 60% yesterday. Now I'm down to only 20%. I I got greedy. I should have let it ride. I was like, you let it ride because you didn't have a preset ROI when you bought the shares anyway. Right. Like people always ask me like, when do, how do I know, Jamal, how do you know when to get out? Because when I bought the stock, I knew I wanted 25% ROI. Like that's where I preset it. Now, sometimes I got lucky and I got 55, I got 60. I always get lucky when I set a pre thing. Like I'll say, all right, 25% 25% is what I'm looking for. I look up, I'm up 40%. I'm definitely out. I was I was ready to get out exactly. at 25. I'm definitely out exactly. at 40, so I'm gone. But because I have that preset thing, because I set it at 25, I'm more than happy to get out at 40 because I'm already 15% higher than where I want it to be. Exactly. So I'm already winning. But people see, oh, someone made 600% on an option trade. They're like, oh, I'm trying to get those wins. Yeah, but I guarantee you most of those people had preset things and they just let it run anyway or they, or you can split it. It's like, you should have, all right, I'm going to get my original investment out and let the profit run or something. They, there is no discipline and it speaks to what you were saying. So I think that's interesting. But before I forget, I want to go back to, you said your father is both an entrepreneur and to nine to five. And you and I see this a lot. Have you brought up the conversation to him of this war between nine to fivers and entrepreneurs and them going back and forth? Like, have you asked his opinion? I have. And he he would probably, well, we've talked about it, not in a sense of like people kind of going back and forth. My dad's not on social media. So we very rarely talk about those things, but I do ask him like more so me venting than asking him his opinion, but just from the conversations that we've had about that, that because I'm a nine to five preneur mm-hmm. personally as well. And I so think you I, use that in Twitter, nine yeah. to five preneur. And so I'm like, I see people talk about, you know, working and, and then I see people talk about being business owners or entrepreneurs. And it's like somebody has to be the boss and somebody has to be the employee. You know, and I actually made a joke the other day. I'm like, entrepreneurs talk about, they shame nine to fivers or talk about how it's not fulfilling, but then they say they need a team of employees Mm -hmm. that are going to work set hours. And I'm like, you have to be careful what you say because, and two, I feel like ownership, like I'm the type of person that likes to talk about ownership.
position. It's not necessarily ownership doesn't necessarily mean you have to have a business. It can be interest. It can, you know, be equity ownership. Everybody is like, you got to have, you know, LLC Twitter, which is funny, but mm-hmm. you don't have to have own or run a business to own something that is going to bring in profit. And that's more so what I teach because entrepreneurship, first of all, it depends on what your level of risk is or what you want to sacrifice. Because once you lose those benefits and you're paying for your own health insurance, and now all of these expenses are, are falling on you <laughs> to, to make happen, whether it be technology operating, whatever your business is, it's like, can you even afford to, to do that one? And mm-hmm. everybody doesn't want to do that. And you can still be successful and not own a business. And, and, and so it's interesting you say that because there is this whole one uh, glorification of entrepreneurship. I've done both. I've done startups. I've worked nine to five. I love them both for various reasons. One, right. they both are stressful in different ways. It's stressful working the nine to fives. You know, you got corporate compliance, you know, their rules, their laws and all that. Entrepreneurship is different. Is a different stress because everything falls on you. Everything <laughs> runs on you. You know, there. if you don't get up, the business doesn't run and everything like that. And each one is honorable. Like it, it's okay. You don't always have, like you said, you don't always have to be an entrepreneur. It is quite okay being the top lieutenant at someone else's company. Absolutely. Getting equity, being the COO, being the president, doing all that. And it's okay being an entrepreneur who needs employees. I think it doesn't have to be an either or. And I think it doesn't. The the entrepreneurial black culture is such in its infancy that we need everything and we need to not stop demonizing it at all or saying one or the other. And mm-hmm. I think that's very funny. And I think if the war were stopped between the two, I think we would be better off. <laughs> would be better off. And and I like to because you force people into thinking that they're not being fulfilled or they're not. Um, it's almost like being an entrepreneur is is worth more than working a nine to five or working for someone and everybody's purpose is not in in their own business. They could very well be fulfilling their purpose, like you said, as the top lieutenant for the company that they're working for. And so what I preach and I teach is, of course, you know, it, you've, it's got to be practical when you're talking about um, what your financial goals are. So as far as the income coming in, you have to be practical with what you want to do. But if you're not doing something that is fulfilling, like I'm the type of person that says, if you're if you're living your purpose, if you if your job or your career is something that you love to do and that's meaningful and impactful, that abundance and that money is going to come, whether it be from that specific nine to five or what you're doing when you're not working. And so that's what I like to preach to people and make sure that they understand because you have people out here right now fumbling and forcing and trying to come out with products and creatives trying to hurry up and rush to do something so they can be seen as um, more meaningful in what they do or more impactful. And it's not even something they believe in. Like now we just have people coming out with a bunch of products and services with no training, no business savvy. They're just hey, I'm here, I'm a business owner, I have an LLC and I'm selling something. But and that's just it at the end of the day. Yeah, I heard one time when I was at church, not to get churchy on you, but a, a, a preacher was talking about um, that people want position without works. Mm. Like they want they want titles. You want to be able to slap CEO in your bio 
and say, oh, I'm a CEO of what? Like, you don't get to just throw the title up there. That has to be earned. Like, you have to do some work. <laughs> and even entrepreneur, like, just because you started a, a business or a private doesn't mean you're an entrepreneur. Being able to scale, being able to endure, being able to uh, pivot and attract customers, take that feedback, take that criticism, those things earn you that title. And I just think, uh, that the next decade and um, how the things go within the culture are going to be interesting. Um, you and I have seen people make a lot of money in the last couple of years, you know, because of the pandemic has forced people to be creative. Mm-hmm. And with that money comes different mechanisms of management. Your tax uh, bracket goes up, your taxing things go up. So this is where your trust comes into play. Talk to people about the fundamentals of trust, the different types of trust, and some advantages of different types. Um, Because I don't think people understand. uh, I've seen you tweet some things. I've tweeted some things, but I don't think they understand the fundamentals of trust and where the trust fall in the um, overall arching estate planning for people with, you know, assets and wealth. Okay. So first I would have to say that where everything falls in plans, it's definitely according to your own situation. And so in order to choose a trust or pick which trust is right for you, where you may have to have a trust that may convert um, over time, but that is definitely something that is for your financial plan. So fundamentally a trust is, it used to be for actually tax planning and estate planning, right? To save on that um, estate tax when a person passes away, that was kind of initially what trust. to pay Uncle Sam, I swear. Right. And so, but once that, um, once that went up, right, not very many people fall within that threshold of where they'll be taxed on their estates. So it became uh, really a way to protect your assets. And, um, and so that's why I say you don't have to have an immense amount of wealth to have a trust. You just simply have to have an attorney drafted because now having a corporate trustee, of course, there's fees, there's corporate fees. It's a little bit more expensive, but you can have an individual trustee. And um, that is the fiduciary who holds the assets and they have a duty to uh, make sure that the intent of the trust is in line with what's in the document. Mm -hmm. And so that's what the trustee is. And then you have your grantor, who is the person that is setting up the trust um, and and kind of telling the attorney, this is what I want and working with the attorney to make sure that the intentions are clear of the trust. And then you have the um, beneficiaries. And those are the people who are either benefiting. And that's why they're beneficiaries, but they're benefiting from the trust either now um, or in the future. So those would be remainder beneficiaries, like when, you know, if someone passes away or some type of age attainment, what have you, those would be considered the um, remainder beneficiaries if they end up benefiting from the trust after the trust terminates for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Now I say that in the most plain way, because there are several types of trust, but more I would say to try to more elementary there, you have your traditional trust and then you have your um, like structured settlement trusts, which those are trusts that were settled from, let's say, um, 
a malpractice suit or a wrongful death suit. Like when um, people get lead checks or something like that. Right. Basically, it's mm. it, yeah, if, if you're in court, you had a court proceeding, you get a, uh, a proceeding rather you you get a settlement and then it is um, decided upon. Sometimes the courts will say, you know, it's going to be in a structured settlement, especially from if minors are, you know, if they ended up inheriting um, any part of the settlement for whatever reason. And then you have your revocable and irrevocable trust and revocable trust basically for, I like to say the way to kind of remember it is if you have a rev trust, it's kind of like a trust that you can make whatever changes amend the trust at any time, right? The grantor has that control. An irrevocable trust means that there you would have to go to the courts to amend any language in the court um, in, in general. There's other things in there, but we would literally be talking all day. Um, and then, of course, with it being irrevocable and revocable, that is different. That kind of sort of determines what type of trust for tax purposes. And that does determine how your trust assets are taxed. Not to cut you, but the part you raised. So I'm assuming, would, would I be wrong to assume because irrevocable is more stringent and you can't change as much? Right. That the tax benefit is better than the revocable trust because once you set up the irregular trust, that's it. Like you literally got to go to court. So I'm assuming with the tax benefits be better for that one because your leeway is less. I would say that it depends on the person's situation of, as well as the state, probably. Right. Okay. Because the so trusts are taxed itself are taxed very differently than what an individual would be taxed for the income that they're receiving from the trust, if that makes sense. Mm. So when you deal with the trust asset taxes, now, you know, you do have to worry about like the capital gains and, and those things like that. That's more so what um, very generally, right, speaking, mm -hmm. is that's more so what you have to worry about. But arguably what you're saying is true. Of course, the less um, control. control that mm. you have, Right. It's a little bit more beneficial as tax wise because it's kind of like, well, you can benefit from this, but you're only really responsible for what you receive from the trust rather than because you have control over these assets, what it might entail that way as far as a rev trust is concerned. And it also depends on what assets you have in your trust. So that's why I say that arguably we could say that it's more beneficial tax wise, but it does depend on the assets. Hmm, kind of like I always tell people, um, your higher yielding uh, asset classes, your securities, your equities for people, uh, I, I use them interchangeably. Let's say your stocks, mm -hmm. uh, your stocks and your high, your tech stocks. I always tell people those are the ones that you want to put in your ROA because your tax benefit later on in life is lower. And you right. want to put those low yielding stuff like your bonds and even your real estate and your 401k because it's less of a tax benefit and things like that. So that's why I was thinking about the irreparable right, mm -hmm. trust and would be said like, so is it kind of like that? Is it some benefit where you put your higher yielding assets in whether it is the irreparable or revocable trust or is it more complex? I know you say that we're putting in the most elementary it. thing. Right. Right. So it's definitely more complex. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about trust, there's definitely those tax benefits. But because I am not a tax professional, I don't have that capacity. Mm -hmm. When I'm speaking about trust, I do mention that. And I always say, like, that's why you have to get with your attorney as well as your 
tax professional to help you structure that. But my job is to kind of let you know the benefits of, of having the trust as far as protecting your assets. Of course, tax and those things are are a part of that. But over time, people have realized that trust allows a lot of skipping for probate. You know what I mean? If, Ooh, if there's... Talk about that. We're talk about probate because I, I re- cause <laughs> people don't get that because they don't realize that there's so many fees. Like if you and I always say this, like if you don't have a will and you don't have a trust, your your heirs are going to go through something very expensive, which is called probate mm-hmm. and trust and wills. If set up properly, can avoid the probate and you may not be able to avoid it entirely, but a right. large portion of of the estate can avoid probate and which avoids fees, which avoids courts fees, court uh, attorney fees and everything like so you can you try to talk about probate and why it's beneficial to avoid that. Well, it's beneficial to avoid that first and foremost, because if you've worked hard for your assets, whether it just be your home or a vehicle or whatever, you know, stocks or investments that you may have, you want to be able to determine how they're passed down and who they go to. So first and foremost, by setting it up in that manner, and I want to touch on, um, sorry to kind of control this, but I do want to touch on, you did mention will and trust. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, I've seen people say a trust is better than a will, or, you know, they're kind of like the same thing and they're absolutely not. So let me be clear on that. They're absolutely not um, the same thing. And um, also I would say to determine whether or not a will or, and, or a trust is better, because in a lot of cases, it's good to have both. And you can also create a trust through your will, which would end up being a testamentary trust because you could very well in your will um, state that you want to have things individually passed down, but you can also specify, I would like to create a trust that'll be funded with X, Y, Z that'll end up being created for those family members. And, and kind of skipping that probate in those um, costs, because I, I believe now when you talk about it, it really doesn't matter unless you are at a very high threshold as far as your assets are concerned, because I believe it's actually 11.49 million. I think it's still that now as far as your estate credit so uh, or exclusion rather. And so I say that to say that the probate portion of it is if it is passed in trust, it's not certain assets are not included in the estate. And so therefore it allows your um, beneficiaries to have access to those things a lot faster Mm -hmm. and it skips going through that. So as you're talking about whether it be tax fees, um, anything like that, certain things can skip that from, from being for the benefit of your beneficiary because the trusts are for your specific benefit, but they're not in your name. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how that structure protects your assets. And that's why it's very beneficial for people, um, whether you're alive or you pass away, because much like probate, you're dealing with that. You're not passing away intestate, obviously, because you have your will and or your trust. And so by um, being specific with those things, that helps the administrator or the executor that you've named. Um, It makes their job a lot easier. Like you said, less fees, less confusion. And again, your family has access to those things a lot quicker because you go through, you set up that trust, that asset pays or transfers into the trust 
And now you're able to administrate it. You don't necessarily have to wait, depending on what those assets are, for the estate uh, to finalize and close. And um, and now everything gets passed out because that could take months. And depending on people's assets could take years. And, exactly. and before and before we train, I also want to talk, uh, just mention that people are like, oh, you know, I don't need a trust or will because, you know, um, my let's say my mother wasn't married and it's just me and my brother or maybe they were married and I want people to realize depending on the state that can get very complicated it's not as simple as oh the wife gets everything sometimes kids file lawsuits against the assets because it's like yo we're we're in heirs too we may not be the spouse but why should the mother just get any especially I've seen it always happen especially when the spouse is not the parent of the children suing them it's like or people sue their parents it's like the father died and the mother got everything but what about us so you need to definitely set that up but i want you to talk a little bit because i think this is where the culture gets lost Mm -hmm. you don't need a large amount of assets to start a trust like a house and a car is enough like or your 401k at your work is enough or your life insurance policy is enough like you want to set up a trust for whatever you have or deem valuable that you want to pass on correct absolutely and if you could put businesses into trust and again like i said it really depends on your situation and those tax implications because it's going to be different for everybody so i tell people those prized possessions and things like that and i actually have to correct myself because I just remembered that the, I always have to correct myself because you know me, I will fact check anybody, even myself, but Mm. the um, estate tax exemption actually went up to 11.58 million. So I know I said 0.49, but that was a couple years ago. Um, (laughs) I haven't closed this. I will say in trust administration, I don't close like estates or anything like that, but it's always good to know what those exemptions are when you're Mm -hmm. talking to clients, because that allows you to kind of speak to the attorneys. But anyway, just a little fact check, correct myself. She's giving y'all nuggets, y'all. Write it down, write it down. (laughs) No, but um, yes. So about the the assets and what you can put into trust, you can really put anything in trust, which which is funny. And a lot of people do it through their rev living trusts. Mm -hmm. And then they may turn irrevocable when they pass away. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people do have living rev trusts that own their businesses because if something does happen again for protection and not just passing down, Mm -hmm. because if something happens and my let's say my um someone sues me personally, right? The assets in my trust, um, more than likely because they are not in my name, depending on the setup, very much more um, protecting if it's an e-rev trust, because there are certain things as far as rev trusts are concerned. But for for your e-rev trust, depending on how it's set up or rev trust, you those assets are not in my name, therefore my benefit. So the trust could be the irrevocable trust for Brittany Sade, but my that trust is not mine. Well, because so, uh, uh, I know people are going to flip out. Make sure that they know that just because it's in a trust doesn't mean you lose control of your assets, right? Absolutely not. Okay. You still have you still have control, and within there, and the reason why you talk about trustees, um, discretion, tr- uh, trust protectors. Like I said, I could talk about it all day, and depending on what your situation is and what you're trying. Are to- we going to have you? 
you on again because I find it. Yeah. I'm finding that it's more complex, your, and people gonna have it's, questions. It's it's very much more complex, and that's why I really try. Like I'm, as you can see, I'm very passionate about it, excited about it, and I'm finding myself saying terms that everybody may not um, understand what I'm saying. So I'm trying to keep it very very um, basic. Mm-hmm. But again, um, yes. And oh, for protection reasons. And so that is why a lot of people use trust as well, because if my my creditors cannot come to my trust and then a lot of trust, those things, it's specified. And the only thing that can um, oversee a trust, right, once we have this legal document approved and I have my trust, somebody would have to get a court order. Mm. So it's like the trust is what it says in that trust is what it says. The only thing that can change is that court order or that amendment, depending on whether or not the trust is is irrevocable or if you can do like a non-judicial agreement, et cetera, et cetera. So again, very basically, but there's always exceptions when it comes to trust administration. And that's why it's so much fun because I learned something new every day. Everything's always changing. There's always different types of trust. Like I had just learned about the Tennessee um, Investment Services Trust. And that's a protective trust as well. But there's a lot of rules. And of course, you have to have it set up. It has to be um, set up in Tennessee, but it also has to be the situs has to be by Tennessee laws as well. But that is a protective measure for for assets um, as well. But yes, I like to tell people that trusts are for protection in all aspects, whether you're protecting it currently or you're protecting those assets when you pass away and you want to make sure that they're being passed down um, as you intended for them to be passed down. Uh, what's another thing to talk about? And uh, well, excuse me. In, in reference to that, um, let's talk about the the irrevocable trust. Like, is there ever a mechanism? Let's say a parent died early, their children's assets got moved into an irrevocable trust until they're eighteen. Uh, mm-hmm. People would, would probably like to know the likelihood of that irrevocable trust being broken. Say the child launches launches a lawsuit. Say it doesn't it doesn't release the money until they turn twenty five. But I'm going to college and it's money there who could, that could pay for it. And I ain't got to take out that loans. If those things are possible, are there workarounds? Not, without, you know, giving people, uh, what do you call it? Uh, financial fiduciary advice. Are there ways for, you know, maybe exceptions to be made? Okay. So let me make sure that I understand what you're asking. So you're saying that a parent passes away. Mm-hmm. They have minor children. Mm-hmm. In our e-rev trust, mm-hmm. and the children are not able to benefit from the assets until they're of age of majority or mm-hmm. a age mm-hmm. attained. Right. Okay. And so, what was it specifically? Say, again? say the child. There's something that needs to happen. Like the child needs to pay for college, but the money's tied up until they're 25. Like, are right. there ways okay. to file a court amendment? Like. Okay, the trust is not supposed to open till 25, but mm-hmm. shouldn't the trust at least pay for my college? It's for my benefit. This isn't me out here partying. I'm trying to right. put my way through school. Is there are there mechanisms that will help someone get around that? Absolutely. So you could definitely have a trust for a minor. And in most cases, there's what we would consider age attainment. So at 18, they can get a portion. Um, At 25, they can get a portion. However, you can have language in the document that allows like, let's just say the parent dies, um, and the child is still a minor, more than likely, there's a guardian or maybe even a trust protector. Um, There could be a trust protector named in that document. And there could be language in there for health, education, 
education and maintenance and support, right? Mm-hmm. Him, which we, him's language, um, which can be in there, but it's discretionary. So that means that you can bring that um, request for college, right? Because education is in there as a minor. And the trustee would then have the duty to look over the request, make sure that it's appropriate. And that is how the minor child is able to benefit before that age attainment. So there are ways and mechanisms that, and that's why I always tell people it's great to sit down with an estate planner um, and the attorney because you're able to think through those things because those are things that we don't think about, right? We don't think, well, I just set up a trust for my kid who's five. What if, what if I happen to pass away five, six years from now and my child is still a minor? We don't mm-hmm. think of those things, but um, those things are definitely able to be in a trust for if the child is a minor and you can still have an adult child. Um, I have clients who they may be 25 right now, but they don't have access to their funds until they're 30. Yeah. That's something else. When your mama don't think you mature until you're 30, that's a whole different funny conversation. (laughs) It's funny, but you know what, what I found it's definitely helpful because we could be matured. Like, like I tell people your financial, your financial IQ may be much lower than what your normal IQ is, right? Mm-hmm. And people's, um, their their value or, or how they look at money is very different because we could say a million dollars is a lot, right? Mm-hmm. But there are people who can blow through a million, if not millions, if they did not have this structure that forces someone like me as a trust advisor um, acting in the capacity as a trustee to say, Hey, this request is probably not appropriate because if we do this, you're going to run out of money. And what Chris, Tuck, what Chris Rock say one time, he says, uh, rich is something you can blow in Vegas on a weekend with a cocaine habit. Wealth is something else. <laughs> right. And, 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 but I'm telling you, people think, and I always preach to people because we're out here teaching people how to make money, how to make money, own, invest, and do all these manage things. Manage the money. But manage the money. And that is why I say, yes, I am a trust advisor. Yes, we can get as convoluted, as deep into this as we want to. But I am a financial, a financial education enthusiast for a reason, Mm -hmm. because even my clients have all this money. Most of the time it's inherited. Let's be clear, you know, Mm -hmm. and they, they have no concept. And now it's like, well, now I see why there's spendthrift provisions, you know, in your document that protects you from your own self or why they, they have this structure where I'm put in place and I now have a fiduciary duty to make sure that if you have an age attainment, that this money lasts as long as it possibly can up into the age attainment. Now there's always reasons why it's in someone's benefit to maybe spend money a little bit quicker or to make those decisions. But for the most part, that is that is another reason why families set up trust because it is to protect their family members from from themselves. Sometimes we as educators or, or financial literary advocates, we get called the fun police. And people, and I always talk about there are a lot of people, and you and I see a lot of it on the timeline who are making six figures. And I'm not just talking 100K because 100K ain't what it used to be. I'm talking three, four hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah. And they swear because they can. 100K is still good now it because is. that's the well above. Well, love the thing, but I'm saying the same thing with a million dollars, like with inflation and everything. 
it's not what yeah. it used to yeah. be. Like the no. cost of goods are not the same. Absolutely. Um, but people get in this mindset. It's like, oh, because I can make three, four hundred thousand dollars a year. I have good money management. Those are mutually exclusive skill sets. Like just because yeah. you can make money doesn't mean you can manage money. And yeah. those that's like saying because I can read a Supreme Court decision. All of a sudden I can argue a case. And fr- that's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. It's a different skill set. And it just so happens some people may be able to make a large amount of money. Your and I's skill set is happened to actually help them manage or allocate that type of money. Doesn't, and it doesn't make you, I think people always think that it makes you weak or needy because you can't manage that. Might No, it makes you smart to know I need someone yes. to help me manage this. There's a reason that lottery winners within five years of winning money are back broke because you can't or, take them. Or entertainers take, and athletes. Like, let's be clear. A lot of high earners mm-hmm, are, are broke. broke, are broke because you can't take someone from poverty to large sums of money in a short amount of time, not changing the habits, the mental mindsets, the, the, the generational poverty, you know, environment and expect them to know how to manage money. People keep saying and people keep saying this joke, which I think is just asinine and dumb. They like, oh, people say you can't go from $50,000 to $100,000 and be able to manage it. And people are like, well, let me see. No, learn it how to manage the 50K first. And then then you can, exactly. If you can manage 50K, you can manage 100K, you can manage 30K. And you might as well, like a lot of people will say, yeah, girl, once I start making more money, I'm going to come back to you. Um, No, no. manage this now. Let's let's (laughs) go ahead and talk about this now. Let's go ahead and look at your mindset now, because let's be clear, a lot of education is very important, but mindset is also everything. Mm -hmm. And like I tell people that self-value and self-worth is actually very strongly correlated to people's finances. Mm -hmm. Because if I, if I feel good about myself, I'm going to want every aspect of my life to, to be good. Right. Mm -hmm. If I feel good about myself, I'm going to believe that I can achieve this wealth. I'm going to believe that I can set up this plan and stick to it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to want to have that discipline. And so it's very interesting to me. And I talk about it all the time how a lot of my clients are consults. They come in to talk about finances, of course, but then I end up helping them get their whole life. Like there's actually more things we need to change your mindset. How you think about money um, is, is the first is first things first. And I find myself, we end up talking about getting them to believe that certain things are achievable. And then before we even break down their finances, we've had that conversation. And now we get to building out what they've been spending and how much money they've been spending. And by not having a budget, them realizing, while I actually have a lot more money after I pay my, my, um, I call it cost of living, Mm -hmm. um, expenses than I thought. And it's like, yeah, you actually have the ability to save and and some people have the ability to save and invest do the fun things on your interests until you get to a point to live off your interests because at the end of the day that's the goal it's to live off of your interest and not encroach in your principal because that's when you start really eating up your your money um i don't want to shift but um before we get off let's talk about yeah. your motivational speech on um on twitter every morning i want y'all to know that every morning <laughs> 
Britt likes to tweet out something to the black women. Shout out to the black queens. It's always some manner of shout out to the black women who get in their own thing. Like when did that when did that become a thing? I know you're a black woman and everything like that, but when did that become a thing? I only ask because you and I are very much on the same but different spectrum. I feel like I have to uplift the black men because I feel like they're always under a certain type of thing. But I always like your your tweets to the black women because it has nothing to do with men degrading them and devaluing that it's all about empowering the women and what they should be doing on their own and I can respect and and, and get with that. So when did you be, when did that did it just naturally transition? Is it something coming from your consults and your clients or something like that? It just kind of naturally transitioned, and I do first want to say that I most of the time, really all of the time, um, it shut to the women. So now I am a woman's woman and I am a black woman. So I am for my black women, but my shout outs are for all women. Mm -hmm. So in most cases, I do just say, you know, shout out to the women who, and it did just naturally happen. And honestly, it started with, I mean, those are my affirmations. And I've realized over time that mm. a lot of things that I've said to myself to help myself grow can actually help others. So sometimes it may be something that I've remembered that I grew from, or it may be something that I'm reminding myself um, to to be proud of that. And, you know, sh- shout out to these women who are not just are, but even the women who are working to become more independent or working to love themselves more and more because I I really try to let people understand that yes, we're on a journey of evolving and becoming better, but you still have to love yourself through the process. Like just because you want to see yourself at your highest potential, it doesn't take away from who you are in this moment and what you're currently doing and how far you've come. Because I feel like now with social media and just society in general, it's it's so much looking towards what success is. And it's like, define your own level of success and stay in your lane. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Look for inspiration, not comparison, because you don't know what that person had to do to get to where they are. That's a bar, Britt. Look for inspiration, not comparison. Yes, yes. Um, Because you don't know where people are. And I really didn't understand that until people kind of sort of started making comments to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I one, I don't look like what I've been through. And I thank God for that. And I don't have to. Mm -hmm. But I've never acted like, you know, this, I didn't have to work to get Mm -hmm. here. Like you have no idea how much I've been working on myself to get to this place or, or how hard I've had to work being a young black woman in an industry that's ran by predominantly white men in these rooms, having to force myself and fake it till I made it with confidence. So that way these people will respect me to understand that I'm just as smart, if not smarter than you. And I'm very capable of of assisting my clients, whether through my personality, how articulate I am, how I carry myself and my expertise. And so I like to really put that in women's minds, especially minority women's minds that you it you teach people how to treat you. You are the best example of the standard that you want to set for yourself. Do the things for yourself. And that way people will know if she's doing it for her, I can't come have, to, she's not going to allow me to treat her less than what she treats herself um, or do for herself. And so that's why I, I preach that. And I've gotten so much good feedback from it um, that I just continue to do it because at the end of the day, I, I just 
want to be more of an example of, of what we really need out here. And that's women who truly, genuinely support other women um, without the judgment, because we all, I like to say, we all have sugar, honey, iced tea with us. And um, we've all come a long way. Like we're all working on ourselves. So no, you know, nobody's perfect. I think the most important part about that is that you said those are your aspirations uh, or for uh, uh, affirmation. Affirmation. And um, I can relate to that because oftentimes I'll tweet something and like it's like a prayer to God and people, you know, will retweet or say amen. And it, honestly, it wasn't for them. I tell people all the time, I'm tweeting for myself. Y'all just happen to be watching. <laughs> like y'all right. just happen to be watching. That's why my passing thoughts and my thoughts, they like, oh, I needed this. I'm like, I'm glad you needed it. But I was really just talking out loud to me. Like I was, right. <laughs> I was talking out Sometimes loud to me. Sometimes it's like that. And like, uh, I it's like that. For yeah, me and that, and that's the great uh, part about it. And I think this was definitely a dope conversation. I think I didn't realize how complex trust is. Like I said, I kind of stay in my wheelhouse, you know, with investing and financial analysis and business operations. And I think um, once I dig a little bit deeper and get to some specifics, we're definitely maybe we can turn this into a series because I I, I believe when you were talking that it is more complex and we need to break down each piece for people. And I think that'll be a great educational piece because. Black people are coming into more money. I want them to manage it well. I want them to transfer it to the next generation with Absolutely. as little tax as possible and with more benefit. And I think that'll be a great thing that you and I can exchange on. But uh, I always like to let the guests have one, the last word. So tell the guests, um, the listeners what you want to tell them, you know, anything that, you know, is on your spirit or anything that you've been thinking or seeing lately. Uh, and then follow up and letting them know where they could book your services, your social media handles, um, and anything that you got going on that you would like to share? Okay, well, I would just like, and I think that I kind of already spoke to that. So my last words would will really be like, don't forget to celebrate the small victories um, because those small victories are what, are what lead to the ultimate goal. And I always tell people, chase the purpose and the abundance is going to come and don't be afraid to go against the grain or to do things that people may think is crazy because we're all crazy until we end up being successful. And then that's when everybody will jump on the bandwagon. So I tell people the best way to, to decide who really is um, rocking with you is to do your own thing because it's going to seem crazy until it all comes into fruition. So definitely chase your passion. That abundance is going to come as long as you're doing it with integrity, right? Do it at all costs, but keep that integrity. And um, you can find me on social media at Brittany Shaw Day, pretty much on all platforms, Twitter and Instagram, also Snapchat. I don't snap though. I just use Snapchat for the filters, but um, Brittany Shaw Day. (laughs) And Brittany is B-R-I-T-T-A-N-I and Sade is spelled S-A-D-E. Um, my website, BrittanyShade.com. Right now, I'm not, I say that I'm not taking any more clients. So I don't have, and again, that's budget and financial planning clients. Let's be clear. I do not do anything trust related outside of my company. But if you have any general questions or you're looking um, or looking to set up a trust, you can definitely reach out to me. And I can, if I can't answer the question, I can at least direct you to someone who can or someone who can help you depending on what your financial situation is. So, yeah. 
Oh, that's great. I, I laughed at the Snapchat thing because I'm very much <laughs> like that. Like all I do is use it for the filter, especially I, like when I get a fresh haircut. I'm definitely okay. on Snap stealing. <laughs> but I would I'd like to thank Britain for coming on. Um, as I, I her and I was discussing when you guys heard, um make sure that you know I do some more research, bring her on a letter, you know, start a little series about you know trust and everything like that without going against her compliance and her field or anything, but just giving general information <laughs> so you guys can um you know decide if it is for you you know i gotta protect my guest uh, Brittany. Okay. i don't I'm want people like, i don't want people thinking we're giving out financial advice exactly. right we not we not doing that exactly. um so uh, i appreciate Brittany coming on um uh, she'll be back and we'll make sure to mix it up for you guys this has been another episode of the culture's money and i'll talk to you guys soon that's right. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Culture's Money. You can follow Jamal on Instagram and Twitter at Leo Grand Prince. That's Leo Grand Prince. You can also get in contact with Jamal via Facebook and LinkedIn. Just type in his name. That's Jamal, J-A-M-A-A-L, Vitos, V-E-T-O-S-E. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time right here on The Culture's Money, baby.